Hey, y'all. Welcome to the RV Texas Y'all podcast. I'm Stacy, And I'm Tom, and we're RV Texas Y'all. We are native Texans and full-time RVers who are all about exploring the great state of Texas and beyond one campground at a time. We're on a mission to experience life, not just live it, and we want to bring you along for the fun. This week is episode three. Hey, we are going to talk about campground etiquette, the do's and don'ts of camping. Our Texas tidbit this week is how Christianity came to Texas. And in the ABCs of RVing, Tom is talking B is for batteries. It's all coming up in this episode, so sit back, relax, and join us as we RV Texas, y'all. week's Texas tidbit, let's go back to this week 187 years ago when the first legally organized Protestant church service was officially held in Texas. The religious freedom movement that led up to that actually plays a role in my own family history, but before we get to that day in January 1834, let's talk about what got us there. Christianity arrived in Texas by way of the Spanish missions. Though the Spanish first laid claim to Texas in 1519, it wasn't until 1690 that they began to establish missions here in an effort to convert the native peoples to Catholicism and gain their support against the French, who were beginning to move into the territory. In the 17th and 18th centuries, the Spanish established a series of Catholic missions and presidios, or forts, to protect them. We'll talk more about those in a future episode, but for now, if you'd like more information, I'll put a link in this week's show notes to our videos and write-ups on the San Antonio Missions National Historic Park, Presidio La Bahia, and the Mission Tejas State Park, where you can see a replica of the first Spanish mission in Texas from 1690. So as we've said, the Spanish began establishing Catholic churches here in the 1600s, but it would be another 200 years before the Protestants arrived. By Spanish law, Catholicism was the only legal religion in Texas. In 1815, traveling Methodist preachers began preaching in private homes at what is now Northeast Texas, but what at the time was part of Arkansas. In fact, some of my own family history through Grammy Kay is traced back to some of those traveling Methodist ministers who came to Texas by way of Arkansas. The first Protestant church in Texas, a Methodist church, was established shortly after the traveling preachers arrived in what would later become Red River County in far northeast Texas, but again at this point, not yet part of Texas. In 1821, Mexico won its independence from Spain, but at this point, the territory of Texas was sparsely populated and tough for Mexico to control. The Native Americans still laid claim to the land, and the U.S. was looking to expand west. To try to protect their control of Texas, Mexico began authorizing impresarios, basically approved land agents, to recruit settlers from the U.S. territories into the Texas colonies. Moses Austin was one of those chosen impresarios, and his son Stephen F. Austin, who became the father of Texas, would take over the colonization efforts upon Moses' death. 
So as the Austins began to recruit settlers for their colonies, folks gathered at the Sabine River, and among them was a Baptist preacher named Joseph Bays. Like the Methodist preachers of Red River County, Bays preached in homes, but he tried to do so in Texas Territory, and that was against the law. Bays was arrested for preaching at San Felipe in 1823, but escaped while he was being taken to San Antonio to stand trial. A branch of the Presbyterian Church arrived in 1825 with missionary Sumner Bacon, who preached to anyone who would listen. He would go on to fight for the Republic of Texas alongside General Sam Houston. Like the Methodist Church, a Presbyterian Church was established in Red River County in 1833 before that area was officially part of Texas. The first Sunday schools were established at San Felipe and Matagorda in 1829, but they had to keep the meetings quiet because, again, the practice of any religion except for Catholicism was illegal under the law. In fact, Stephen F. Austin was worried about the religious services garnering too much attention and causing trouble for the colonies. So we've talked about the prohibition of religious freedom, but it's important to note that not all Mexican leaders saw policy or policing the colonists' religious preferences as a priority. In 1832, a gathering of Methodists and Presbyterians was reported in Sabine County. Colonel Jose Piedras, who was commander of the Nacogdoches garrison, asked three simple questions. Are they stealing anything? Are they killing anybody? Are they doing anything bad? Since the answer to all these questions was no, he ordered his men to leave the folks alone. Now we get to Daniel Parker. Now, if his name sounds familiar, it's because he's a member of one of the most famous families in Texas. The Parker family came to East Texas in 1833. They set out to build Parker's Fort, or Fort Parker as you might know it, with the goal of establishing a Baptist church. Of course, when they got here, they learned that it was illegal to establish such a church in Texas soil. So, as the rest of the Parker family stayed to build the fort and establish roots, Daniel Parker returned to Illinois. He figured that it might be illegal to found a Baptist church in Texas, but he might be able to gain permission from the Mexican authorities to relocate an established church to Texas. So upon returning to Illinois, Daniel Parker established the Pilgrim Church. So now it's 1833. Texas is part of Mexico. Stephen F. Austin and other impresarios have brought settlers here and established colonies. To settle here, you had to swear your allegiance to Mexico and to Catholicism but Protestant churches are being established just beyond what is the border of Texas at that time. The colonists here are missing their religious freedom. They're getting tired of living under the strict rules and expectations set by the Mexican government that's so different from what they know. Many of them have found conversion to Catholicism to be difficult, and they've continued their Protestant practices in private, but now they're beginning to push back. To ease tensions, in 1834, the Mexican government changed the law to allow religious freedom. As this change is underway, Daniel Parker and his followers arrived back in Texas with the Pilgrim Church. And on January 25, 1834, 187 years ago, the Pilgrim Church of Predestinarian Regular Baptist held the first legally organized Protestant church service officially in Texas at Daniel Parker's home in Anderson County in East Texas.
This week in the ABCs of RVing, we're talking house batteries. And yep, I refer to the house batteries of the RV as the heart of your RV. It's the 12 volt operating system for your RV. And how important is that? Well, it operates your lights, usually your thermostats, things like the electrical boards on your refrigerators, maybe your ACs. So you definitely want to take care of the batteries in your RV because if, if they aren't charged, these systems aren't going to work right. And most of these batteries that we have in our RVs, they're AGM batteries or they're lead acid batteries. They're either 6 volt or 12 volt. But when they're 6 volt, you'll usually have 2 or 4. You'll have an even number because they put two sixes together to make one twelve. Some of the six volt batteries charge quicker, so that's why they do this. But in the ones that aren't AGM, because the AGM, you don't have to maintenance those batteries. The ones that aren't AGM, you want to make sure you keep your water levels in these uh, up and don't overfill. But, you know, you want to check that every month, month and a half. Uh, just to make sure those levels don't drop because if the charge on your batteries drop below 50%, that damages the battery. That's like a heart attack and to the battery. And it that won't come back. When that that's a part, that's why I call it a heart attack, because it damages the battery and you can't repair that. So every time it drops below 50%, you you are gonna the life of your battery just went down. So you want to try to always maintain it above 50%. The other thing that happens with lead-acid batteries is when the voltage is going down, when it's dropping down, your your lights may dim. I know probably a lot of us have seen this in the RV. The, the lights are dimming. When that's happening, your, your batteries are dying. Uh, they don't give the same amount of power when they're at like 40 or 30% as they did at 95%. So another reason why you definitely don't want them dipping below 50%. Um, so always, you know, some tips to maintain those batteries, the water level. We already talked about that. If you take it to storage, you may want to do a trickle charge. If you can run a trickle charge on that, that, at a lot of places, you have 110 power you can plug into and trickle charge your batteries and keep them maintained. That's great. That's going to help you with the life of your batteries. The other thing is, if you don't have 110 power, just disconnect the batteries when you leave. Hopefully, they're at full charge when you get there. Disconnect them and don't hook them back up until you come back. And hopefully, you have enough and you can start charging them back up so you won't have any issues, won't get below 50%. But the other thing is now you're hearing about lithium batteries that have just come out on the market, and they're, they're really expensive, but the nice thing about lithium is they give you the same amount of power, whether it's at 10% or 15%. It doesn't matter. You're not damaging the battery. You can almost take them down to zero, and it's no problem whatsoever. And they charge up a lot quicker. They're pretty expensive. Prices are coming down, but one day... I think lithium's going to be the future and the present.
So before we get started this week talking about campground etiquette, we want to really give a special thank you to everyone who has been listening so far. It is so exciting to hear back from folks who are enjoying our new podcast. <laughs> yeah. Special shout out, especially to anybody who has, you know, subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform or left us those five star ratings or, you know, left us a phenomenal comment. We appreciate you guys so much. It really helps us out. Please keep liking, subscribing, sharing, and most importantly, listening. Yeah, and those comments are motivating. Oh big my time. gosh. We cannot thank y'all enough. So let's get into our topic this week, which is campground etiquette, do's and don'ts of camping. What we're talking about here applies to all campers. We're not just talking about RVers, y'all. We're talking about tent campers, car campers, hammock campers. Heck, if you take a hammock out into the state park and you hang it up between two trees, we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought what we would do is talk a little bit about the don'ts. Uh, the do's, and also some big topics get a little bit more into it, things related to maybe campfire etiquette, uh, camping with pets. So first, let's talk about some don'ts. And some of these are unwritten rules, but certainly things that we try to follow, well, we do follow everywhere we go. One of the big don'ts uh, is don't walk through other people's campsites. Yeah, this is one we see all the time, and and it, we, we talk to a lot of folks and a lot of people. Well, your campsite is kind of like your home, you know, and you put all your stuff out on your campsite. And, you know, it's just, it, it's not good to walk through somebody's campsite. I mean, it, it's almost invading on their privacy. Um, and if you're going to come through somebody's campsite, you know, ask permission. I mean, even with us, we come up, even if we know the people we have a tendency to be on the edge of the of the site and say, you know, can we come in? You know, wait, and um, because yeah, it you're kind of invading somebody's privacy. I think. And really, I think what people don't think about is is in my opinion, this also counts not only your camping side where your chairs might be set up, but also your hookup side. You know, don't be walking right next to somebody's camper uh, or tent. Uh, on either side, uh, because you, you never know, too, there might be hoses or cords or something that you might trip on, and it, it's just a bad thing. You want to avoid it. How about don't leave trash in your campsite? Oh, that's for sure. I mean, you uh, at your uh, you always want to keep it clean. I mean, and obviously, and I, I know it's going to be later in this, but you you leave it, you always leave your campsite cleaner than what you got there, Absolutely. than when you got there. Because, you know what, these lands, we want to continue to be able to camp. And and like a lot of BLM places and stuff, I know that it's a problem that people are keeping their, have their trash all over the place. And you know what, we want to be able to use these lands what they're intended and if we don't do our part and keep it clean and make it cleaner than what we got there then we're going to lose that privilege you know i read an article just recently that the big thicket national preserve over in east texas is having a significant problem with this right now and it's really just such a shame uh you know but we're not just talking here about leaving trash when you leave you certainly don't want to do that if you take it in take it out uh but also don't leave your trash outside 
if it, while you're still camping. Like, don't leave a trash bag outside when you go into bed at night or oh, if you, you go for a hike. That's guaranteed that you're going to get raccoons or something in that, and it's going to end up all over the place. Um, you know, have class, dispose of your trash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on that note, try not to use glass. You know, when you're going camping, if you can avoid taking glass with you, uh, that can really go a long way because you got to think, you know, when you're moving, whether whether you're packing up a cooler and taking a tent or you're traveling in your RV, glass is is going to be very likely to break, you know, it's somewhere along the way. Yeah, and it causes problems, you know, tires, we, just everything. People, people can cut their feet. Uh, you know, we've come in many campsites that have broken glass and stuff there. And, no, we for that reason, we don't even have any glass bottles that we take outside. If it Even we don't even buy, like if we buy beer at the store, we do not buy any glass containers anymore. Everything is in cans, um, and then we can recycle those cans. But, but glass is a big no-no in any kind of camping environment. Yeah, I mean, if, like you said, for tires, for feet, for animals, for pets, for wildlife, it's just not a good thing. So nope. try to avoid that if you can. Try not to arrive at night, uh, but if you do have to arrive at night, maybe you're going out for the weekend and you don't leave till you get off work and it's night when you get there, try to be respectful of your neighbors and be as quiet as possible when you're setting up. Well, and it's not just quiet. I mean, when you're ar- arriving at night, especially late at night, you know, people are sitting out at their campsites, maybe around a campfire, and then your headlights are beaming straight into their campsite. We have had that happen. We have had that happen. <laughs> and and uh, people that come up, and then they start talking to somebody, and their car's running. And, I mean, several times we've just gone inside and gave it up for the night because the headlights were just beaming directly at us. And so, you know, try not to impact others. Obviously, there's times when you're going to have to show up at night and and during the winter that it's tougher because the, it gets dark earlier. But just know, like Stacy said, too, if you do try to be quieter and stuff too as you're setting up, but if you come in real late, maybe you set up in the morning. Maybe you get in, do the minimum you have to do and get in there, sleep, wake up in the morning and then finish your setup. That's a great tip. Uh, don't feed the animals. Now, traditionally, a lot of folks like to set up bird feeders. They like to set out some feed or whatever for the wildlife in their campsites. The state parks are really beginning to not like this, and a lot of, some of the core parks and things like that, some of the more natural parks are really trying to discourage people from feeding the local wildlife. And a lot of that has to do with the wildlife is – a, becoming more dependent on the folks who are visiting and less uh, able to care for itself and find its own food. And B, uh, the wildlife is potentially coming becoming a lot more comfortable around folks and therefore a lot more invasive into sites when people are camping. And that can be a danger for both the wildlife and the people. Well, so, and also you don't want to get the wildlife dependent on this food. Yes. If they do, then they become a bigger danger to the folks this is what happens in some of the national parks and and 
when we were the last time we were in the national parks, unfortunately, if someone if they catch someone feeding a bear, the park rangers are really very upset, more upset at the people than the bear because if they catch that bear, they have to euthanize that bear. The the thing we heard time and time again when we went to ranger programs and they were talking to folks about that, they say a fed bear is a dead bear. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, so just avoid that. Absolutely. Let the wildlife be wild. Um, if you are a smoker, please do not smoke right outside of someone else's camper or tent or camping area. Yeah, just be respectful. I mean, obviously... Uh, luckily, we live in a society now where smoking isn't what it was 15 years ago. And, you know, hopefully going forward, it'll almost go away. But it is pretty annoying. You open up your window and the guy right next to you is smoking a cigarette and it's coming right into your camper. And that... And I know folks don't think about that, yeah. uh, but you got to be cognizant of kind of the breezes around you and the direction that the wind is blowing and uh, just something to think about. Keep your smoke to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Do not drive or park on the grass. Now, you'll see a lot of posted signs on this uh, or, you know, in park rules. A lot of times they will mention that. And that is just something that's you don't want to kill the grass. Yeah, that, and it, it causes damage a lot of times. And so this is something that we... You know, it, it's it's really an unwritten, it's not just an unwritten rule in a lot of the parks. They say, do not park on the grass. And some of the state parks, they will ask you to move um, if you're parked on the grass at all. But, yeah, you don't want to do damage to that to where it's going to cause somebody to have to come out and fix it. and Ruts yeah. and all of that, yeah, you know. No. Let's talk specifically about campfire etiquette because this is a big, big Big topic for us. We have been in so many campsites over the years, y'all, where folks think they're doing the right thing, maybe even. They think they've extinguished their campfire enough, and it's really just not. So I really want to spend some time on this. First and foremost, if you're going to have a campfire, which we love a good campfire, only have it if you have a fire ring. Don't do any ground fires. Yeah, those ground ground fires are very, very dangerous, and you know, prohibited in almost every state and national park. But sometimes you still see that someone has set something up. And, yeah. you know, not only does it ruin that area, uh, but it can burn below the ground into the roots and things of the of the local foliage and cause a bigger issue. So you want to be able to keep it contained and keep it safe. And the way to do that is to have it in a fire ring. Bigger is not always better when it comes to a campfire. Oh, well, that's for sure. I mean, I've seen people, uh, it's like they're burning every single thing that, we, we, we had a couple that was next to us last summer, um, and they got a bunch of furniture and stuff for their RV, and they brought it in, and they put it in while they were at the campground. Well, they had all these boxes from the from the furniture and stuff that they had put in. We were wondering what they were going to do with those boxes and stuff. They were just sitting out behind and next thing you know, they're building a campfire, and they're putting all that stuff in there. And that, that fire, it's going 8, 10, 12 feet was, in the air. It was a bonfire instead of a campfire. Yeah, and they're, the trees are overhead. And, I mean, you catch something on fire, and now that's and, – and you got to realize, too, that some embers can come out of that. And, and the last thing you want to do 
is start a wildfire. That we none of us need that. You know, you've seen the reports in California and stuff. Parts and of Texas. Yeah, it's just devastating. We we just uh, we don't want that for sure. Absolutely. You don't also don't want it to damage your or someone else's RV or oh, tent yeah. or car or you know hurt somebody. Uh, so you got to be real careful with that. As a general rule, you know, please don't burn your trash in your in your fire ring and your campfire. Yeah, because also when when you're doing that, a lot of times the odors and stuff from your food uh, cause a problem. And it's it's it can really smell pretty bad. Well, and it can set off different chemicals into the air depending on what you're burning. And sometimes things don't burn as you figured, and then you're leaving a bunch of trash. In your uh, fire ring. Well, you know, and this brought me to one that uh, I don't think we have down here, but I want to mention, don't have your bay doors of your RV open if, you're, if you've got a <laughs> fire a next to it. Because we heard of a guy that that happened to, and, and he had a bay door on his RV open, and an ember went into his basement, and it caught on fire. And he had a fire in the basement of his RV that was started from his campfire. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be extremely cautious about that. Again, uh, the bigger the campfire, the more chance something like that might happen. Yep. So just keep that in mind as you're as you're enjoying that. Uh, always check with the park regulations regarding wood. You know, Texas in particular, and, and maybe some other states, but I know for for sure here, there's been an ongoing issue with with beetles and other types of bugs being brought into our parks from other locations, and they're beginning to infest those parks and and negatively affect the trees and things in those parks. So, and a lot of the parks now are really asking that you buy your firewood from the park that you're in. Most will not let you just collect the wood. Some will. Uh, but they're asking that you not bring in and use exterior firewood from other locations to keep those other beetles and pests out of the park. Yep, just like the, just like with your boats and stuff, you got to clean your boats thoroughly underneath them when you come out of the water from one lake to another, so you don't take a species from one lake to another. And it's the same thing with wood. Absolutely, absolutely, and. The last thing I would say on the campfire etiquette is please, please, please make sure when you have a campfire that you make sure that it is 100% completely extinguished before you leave, before you go to bed at night, before you leave your site, before you leave it unattended. You never want to leave a going campfire unattended because you just never know what can happen. Winds can change or whatever. Something could fall into your uh, campfire, a chair or something. You always want to make sure that it is extinguished enough that if you hold your hand right above the ash that you don't feel heat. Yeah, and that, believe me, I don't know how many times. But we could count both hands, both feet on both Stacy and I <laughs> of when we've seen this one, not people, they'll, they'll leave their campsite. They even leave for the day, and a lot of times uh, they're leaving for good. And they had a campfire that morning to maybe fix breakfast or whatever, and it's still going. And they think they've extinguished it, to be fair. I think a lot of times they they threw some water on it, or maybe they covered it up with a little bit of ash or something, and they think they're good. They don't see flames. But just because you don't see flames does not mean that your campfire is 100% extinguished. Yeah, but Stacy's being nice. On many occasions, I've watched, uh, looked over, and there's still a a flame. I mean, people just 
leave it. They think that it's in a pit and it's going to be safe. You know what? You don't know who's coming behind you, and there could be kids in another campsite that may come over and burn themselves or whatever. So you, you absolutely put that out. Pour water over it. Make sure it's totally extinguished before you go to bed, before you leave your site. We don't leave our campfires unattended at all. We either Stacy or I are always around that fire at all times. You know, just we won't go in both into the RV at the same time if there's a campfire on the outside. Just in case, we just want to always make sure it's safe. Absolutely. So now let's talk pet etiquette. And I know this is something a lot of RVers and a lot of campers, the reason that they're in the lifestyle is so that they can enjoy traveling with their pets. But there are definitely some things that you got to do as a responsible pet parent. And part of that is six-foot leash. And a lot of a lot of campgrounds will tell you that's a requirement. Will they check? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but you got to protect your pet as well as the wildlife and the other folks around you. And if you're hiking or you're going for a walk and you're taking your pet with you, please keep them on a six-foot leash. Yeah, that that's for sure. And, I mean, we've seen problems where people just think their dog doesn't need to be on a leash but then all of a sudden their dog takes off yeah and and i understand a lot of people have spent a lot of time and money training their dogs and they feel like that they've really got them you know they're not going to stray from them but you just don't know how a dog's going to respond to other people other dogs other animals and so um, you need to keep them on that leash in the campsite when we're at our campsite, we don't keep Star on a on her leash. We keep her on what we call a lead, which is basically a cable, and for her a really strong cable because she's a very strong dog, uh, that we attach to maybe the picnic table or a tree or we've got a little thing we can screw into the ground if, if necessary. Uh, but we want to make sure that that lead is well within our campground, where she our campsite. She cannot possibly reach the road or the sidewalk or the camper next door. Yeah, and we also check this lead from time to time to make sure that, because they have broken before. I yeah. mean, they're, they're, they have a lifespan too, so we want to make sure that she can't get away. Now, now Star is, I mean, she's great. She is, uh, and I got to tell you, she's got this crazy thing that if for some reason, like let's say her collar were to break or come off, she stops. She (laughs) knows that she's supposed to have that collar, but I don't want to rely on that. I never want to rely on that. And again, also, when you have your pets out on a lead or whatever in the campground, don't leave them unattended either, just like a fire. We don't go in, both go inside when Star's on the outside. One of us is always with Star when Star's on the outside. And the, the reason being, if you're in a state park, what happens if an animal comes up? Right. I mean, it, there's there's wild animals. In some of these national parks, there's bears. I, if, there, if I see a bear, I've got to take Star inside, I, you know. Uh, or a coyote or, or another dog maybe another yep. dog gets guy, gets out and yep. and you just it's just safer for them yes. and for everybody else around um and we've actually had some parks tell us hey if you have a dog you need to keep a close eye on them because there's been a lot of maybe coyote activity or or whatever in the area yep um but we always do that no matter where we are uh, star is never by herself when we leave her inside, we always make sure there's no way for her to get out 
of the RV. Um, we've seen this happen. We, we've seen this happen several times, actually, where folks are camping uh, with their pets, their dogs in particular. They, uh, they feel like that they've got the dog safely inside the RV or the tent. They go off to hike or whatever, and while they're gone, the dog gets out. And, you know, again, that's really not safe. Yeah, that's not safe. You, you might lose your dog. Dog could get hit by a car. Uh, you know, just, there's a lot of bad scenarios to that. We had that happen just the other day. We were sitting in the pavilion, and two beautiful dogs, obviously. Super friendly. Super friendly, came up, and uh, we, we were able to get them and hold on to them. We had no idea who owned them. But luckily, the owners, uh, like a couple minutes later, walked up because they were looking for them. And they said they left the RV and they left it locked, but somehow the dogs opened the door up. <laughs> so it obviously wasn't locked or they're able to unlock it. I don't know. But, but yeah, that was that. I'm glad it ended okay. Right. But that's not always the case. You know, if it's a window, they might be able to get out a window or a cat might be able to get out a window. So you just got to keep that in mind. Uh, of course, if you leave them in the RV, you want to make sure that it's not going to get too hot or too cold for them, um, you know, because that's an important thing, too. Oh, well, yeah. You, you definitely, especially during the summer, if you're going to leave your animals in your RV, you need to make sure that if the AC or the power goes out or something that, I mean, that, that RV will get hot very fast. And that's dangerous for your animals. Make sure you have some kind of backup plan uh, in case the power goes out. Absolutely. And, of course, when you take them hiking with you, make sure that they have what they need, like water uh, and things like that, so yes. that they're comfortable on the hike as well. Because, remember, they're going as far as you are, but with shorter legs and in fur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about some do's. Do leave your campsite cleaner than you found it. Yep, just like we, I said before, absolutely. We do this every single time. You know, just I hate it that some people aren't as clean as we are, but, you know, let's all leave it cleaner than what we got there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you hope, yeah, you hope that when you get there, the people before you were going to be respectful and take everything with them and the people before them and so on and so forth. But the first thing we always do after we get set up is go around with a little bag and pick up anything that we find in our site. Yep. Um, pay attention to and follow quiet hours. Every park has quiet hours. Uh, they're different depending on where you are, but that basically means between, let's say, 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. or whatever it may be, uh, that you keep your noise down to a minimum. It doesn't mean you can't sit outside. Nope. It doesn't mean you can't visit. Uh, it just means try to be even more, like we said, uh, cognizant of your neighbors and respectful of them and and don't be, you know, laughing really loud and talking really loud. And Yes, just be respectful to your neighbors and your friends. Exactly. Uh, know your generator rules. When you're dry camping, there's almost always going to be generator rules. And by that, I mean some places only allow built-in generators. Some people will, some places will allow external generators. Uh, on external generators, sometimes they require certain types because they're quieter than others. And there are almost always certain hours that you're allowed to run the generator. Yeah, and at a lot of rallies, too, yes. they have hours. So, yeah, again, 
Watch those hours. Um, the last thing you want to be doing, obviously, is sitting in a, a beautiful national park and have, you know, somebody running the generator at 11 o'clock at night. Watch wildlife from a distance. Don't try to get too close. We all want that beautiful picture. Yep. But it can't be, it's, it's not safe. Yeah, People don't realize, and we learned this when we went through many national parks that had the bison, and they want to get real close to those bison. Well, do you realize that bison can run up to 30 miles an hour? It's incredible. Yeah, and they can jump over six feet tall. So they're a lot more dangerous than what you think. Oh, there's no doubt about it. You also want to pay attention to the overall campground rules. Like we said, every campground's gonna have different rules. They're gonna take them a little bit differently. Uh, but knowing what those rules are, they're gonna save you having a knock on your door, maybe, and uh, and have people complaining about you or being asked to leave. Well, yeah, there. I mean, we've heard a lot of stories about people that had to leave. Yeah. You know, they violated a rule that they didn't even know was a rule, and they had to leave. That's stressful, especially if you have kids. Exactly. Um, Keep your outside music and TV turned down. You know, we love having an outdoor TV and an outdoor stereo system. Yeah, I've probably violated this myself (laughs) as far as the TV. But, yes, uh, yeah, and I've got to be better at it myself. You know, again, your neighbor may not be interested in the same programs and music that you are. So just keep that in mind because while it's fun for you, you don't want it to not be fun for them. And always park completely within your campsite so that, you know, if your truck is sticking out or your tow vehicle or your motorhome, your RV is sticking out into the road, somebody might hit it accidentally. Yeah, that could be a hazard to you as well as them. Boy, you don't want that happening. Thanks for joining us, y'all. For more on what we talked about this week and to find other episodes, visit the podcast page of rvtexasyall.com. Subscribe to the RV Texas Y'all podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RV Texas Y'all. Until next time, safe travels. And happy camping. Bye. Bye.